God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. I am my own shepherd, my own master. I am independent. I am self-made. I am in charge. I want it all. I click from website to website, and I go from store to store, from guru to therapist, from yoga to travel. I have seen the green pastures and the waterfalls and the beach and the beauty that God has made, and still I find no peace. I am often in the valley of the shadow of death with the people that I love, in the challenges of the day, in job loss, in sickness, in grief, and when I'm here in the valley, I have no idea what to do. Because I think that I can rely only on myself and my own strength and my own control. And so I am afraid of everything. Because I think that this life is all there is. And if this is all there is, then my image and my portfolio and my legacy are in fact all there is. I am surrounded by enemies, and everyone is out to get me. I feel alone. And it seems like there is no one to help. My head hurts, so I anoint myself with Advil and Merlot to dull the pain. My anxiety runneth over. I try to do the right thing, but the truth is I have no idea what the right thing is or right, what the right path is or whether that matters today or matters at all in the long run. Which version of the 23rd Psalm do you like better? <laughs> it's a famous psalm. Many, many of us grew up having to memorize it. Most of us, if you grew up in the church, can rattle off the old language. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. It's a psalm we say very often at funerals. It's a psalm we hear on Good Shepherd Sunday Easter today. And more than any other psalm, and more than many other texts in our faith, this one is sort of everywhere. And that makes it very easy for us to sort of get the warm and fuzzies and walk right past it. When in fact, the psalm has some really sharp teeth to it. There's some really deep meaning sewed into it. And to understand it, we have to dig into it. And the first thing to know about it is the tradition tells us that it was written by King David. David of David and Goliath. David was king of Israel. David who had a close relationship, a special relationship with God. David who we know made many big mistakes. Who was flawed and imperfect. And still, his faith, his story, and his legacy have shaped not just our faith and our story, but the faith and story of our Jewish brothers and sisters as well. He is a pivotal character in our history and theirs. And yet he's flawed and imperfect. 
But before he was king, David was a shepherd. So he would have known intimately deep in his bones what it meant to stay up at night in the dark and make sure that the wolves couldn't get to the sheep. He would have known intimately and in his bones what it meant to lead them to pastures where they could feed safely, to lead them to water, to comfort them and calm them. Because sheep actually are sort of curious creatures. They're gentle and sensitive, but they're a little complicated. And having said that, they're also not terribly bright. Lest you listen to the gospel passage I just read and think, I hear the voice. I'm following. I'm doing well. Keep in mind, Jesus is not complimenting us when he calls us sheep. He's saying, in fact, that we are not very bright and not very capable of taking care of ourselves and that we need quite a lot of tending. Now, when Jesus says that, he always says it with some tenderness and some love, and it's not a compliment. Sheep, in fact, left to their own devices, would eat an entire pasture, make themselves sick, turn their only food source into a desert, a wasteland, get rid of all the food, and then look around, have no idea how to get to the next source of food, so they would just sit there and die. Sheep also are not able to lay down and rest unless they feel very, very safe. So they have to feel like they have a good relationship with the shepherd, and there has to be no tension in the flock itself. They have to be at peace with each other before they will lay down. So the shepherd's relationship, one-on-one -on -one, and with the whole flock, is really important. And left to their own devices, they don't know how to find food, they don't know how to find water, they don't know how to do much of anything. So the shepherd is responsible for all of these things. This is what David is telling us in the psalm. And if you think about the language of the original 23rd Psalm and the sort of tough one that I just gave you, there's a couple of differences, but they all sort of center around a sense of reality, of who we are, of what is ordered and appropriate. David's psalm says, I am just a sheep. You are the shepherd. And what David's saying is, I don't know how to find the things that will fulfill me. I don't know how to find the things that will feed me, that will make me whole and happy, that will give me the holiness of life that you promise. But you are the shepherd, and you can lead me there. And that's tricky too, isn't it? Not only do we have to acknowledge our humility and sort of take the place of the sheep, we also then have to consent to being led, to being guided, without giving up control. There are other places in this text, too, in the original 23rd Psalm that sort of push our buttons. I shall not want. Which one of us doesn't want? Which one of us doesn't have wants and desires and things that we think that we need? And so the psalm calls us to what is sort of a spiritual practice, a trusting in the fact that God will give us the things we need and then we have to sort of learn how to be satisfied with that. Which stands in contrast to the story I think the world tells us, that we need to have it all, we need to have all the things, and then we'll know what success and fulfillment feels like. 
Psalms says success and fulfillment comes from knowing that we are just sheep and that Jesus is the shepherd. So the trouble with David's metaphor is that we here in Wilton in 2019 are not shepherds. I mean, if you are, raise your hand. Any shepherds? There are some in Connecticut, but not so much here. I felt safe saying that. We are not shepherds. So that metaphor doesn't necessarily work for us. So if you were going to rewrite the psalm, and not in the way that I did at the beginning, if you were going to really sort of rewrite the psalm for you and for your life, what kind of words would you choose? How would you acknowledge that the Lord is in charge? That you are something equivalent to just sheep? What would those words look like? And what does it mean for you to sort of walk into that relationship and try to trust that the things that you need will be supplied, that God longs to give them to you, and that sometimes the sound and the busyness of the world seeks only to take us away from those things. Each one of us experiences seasons when we walk into the valley of the shadow of death. And unless we have built that foundational relationship, unless we have understood our place in the story, as David does, and God's overarching place in the story, then we walk into the valley of the shadow of death and we have no idea how to get out. And the problem is that it's certainly true that sheep end up in the valley. Sheep that don't know a shepherd or don't know the shepherd. And it's certainly true that Jesus comes for them too. But the trouble is, if you don't already know the voice, you won't know how to follow it out. You won't know how to follow him out of the valley. You won't be comfortable enough with the way that faith unfolds and the way that life is with God, that you're willing to take the risk of walking that dangerous road, knowing that the rod and staff are on either side of you to guide you and to keep you safe. What would that metaphor be in your life? When have you been in the valley and needed for God to come and call you out? The last part of the psalm promises us actually what we're promised in the gospel. In the gospel, Jesus says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. And this is the promise of the last part of the psalm, that even though life may not be perfect, God spreads an abundance of gifts before us. Our families, our friends, our relationships, our work and our play, the gifts and talents we've been given. And chief among those gifts is the promise that we don't just get rescued from the valley now. We get rescued from the valley forever. That's the last line, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's the promise that the worst thing that could possibly happen to us is never the last thing, and that death never has the last word. Each of us has experienced in some way what that valley feels like. Each of us needs to learn how to listen to that voice as it calls us out. So, 
I spent some time this week thinking about what other words we might use. How else we might try in our 2019 sort of postmodern world to wrap some words around what this relationship looks like. And unlike the first version that I wrote, I mean this one. These are not all the words, but hopefully they'll start stirring a little thoughtfulness in you to look for your own. The Lord is my pilot, my conductor, my teacher, my captain, my coach, my friend, my vanguard. The Lord teaches me the steps and the songs. The Lord teaches me my place in it. I don't need anything else except to learn to listen for the one who saves, the one who shows me how to live, the one who calls me into patterns and relationships, into places and spaces in life that will fulfill me and make me whole. All this the Lord will show if I will consent to being led, if I will give up control. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord promises me that the worst thing is never the last thing, and that death never has the last word. So even in the worst times, even though life is not perfect, and there are people who hurt me, the Lord spreads before me an abundance of gifts. And then when I think it can't get any better, the Lord blesses me, anoints my head, and calls me beloved claims me and my part in the story. My cup runneth over with more than I could ask or imagine. And here's the best part. That is only the beginning. If I follow that voice and those pathways, if I am guided by rod and staff through good and bad all the days of my life and claim the eternal blessing that God has set aside for me, then nothing can snatch me out of the hands of the living God in whose house I will live and praise forever. What words would you use? How would you describe your relationship with the living God who longs to supply your need? How do you submit to that relationship, allowing God to be the one who drives? because a whole bunch of sheep driving around just won't do. What is your metaphor? And how will you praise in the house of the Lord forever? <laughs>